Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of uh, Ask Alan. I'm Alan Crone, CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and we have a, uh, a special guest uh, today, um, uh, my uh, spiritual pastor, uh, my uh, boss as a deacon, and my, uh, my friend, Bishop uh, David Talley, the sixth bishop of uh, Memphis in Tennessee. Bishop, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who... Um, may not know, Bishop Talley has been uh, our bishop here in West Tennessee for, uh, goodness, is it is it three years now? Not yet. It's, uh, it was two years in April, so maybe two and a half years, two and a third years. Well, time does fly. Yes, it does. And uh, we're, we're so glad that, uh, that he's here. And uh, again, for those who may not know, uh, Bishop, why don't you, uh, would you describe the the geographic and maybe demographic background of the Diocese of Memphis? Uh, well, uh, Deacon Alan Crone, my buddy, I know is better than me, but I'll do my best. Uh, we're West Tennessee. Uh, we're 50 years old this year. Uh, we were split off from the Diocese of Nashville. We're 21 counties uh, bordered by uh, Mississippi on the south and uh, Kentucky on the north, Arkansas on the west. 21 counties, two metro areas, Memphis, the largest, by far the largest city on the Mississippi River, and then Jackson, Tennessee, uh, which is about an hour uh, east of here. Right. And uh, uh, Bishop, I know that um, uh, we were talking before we, we started, you and I both have uh, uh, stories about, uh, you know, how we, we came to be not just ordained, but how we came to be followers of, of Jesus. And I think particularly sometimes in the Catholic Church, uh, we talk about a lot of things, but we don't talk about uh, that at, at, at the core, what we are, are disciples and followers of Jesus. Amen. Yes. Um, so you, you actually grew up in, uh, in Georgia, is that right? Uh, Georgia and South Carolina. My, my family's from Columbus, Georgia. Um, I was born there. Uh, I went through kindergarten in Columbus. My dad was a, a, what we call a late bloomer. When I was um, born, he was a carpenter. He had been to college on a scholarship, very bright man. Uh, but like a lot of young, bright people, he, uh, he enjoyed the party atmosphere of college, but not so much the studies. So uh, he flunked out uh, of Auburn. Uh, he was there on scholarship. Uh, and so uh, uh, when he met uh, my mom, uh, his wife, uh, they were married, and um, and uh, at the time of his of my birth, he was a carpenter um, in in Columbus. Uh, my my mother um, shamed him into being the kind of man he he needed to be. Uh, we moved uh, up to uh, for him to start a medical college of Georgia in Augusta, because we had no money. We lived across the river in North Augusta, South Carolina, where that's a, a poor area where we could afford a house small house. So my growing up years until the high school were at Georgia and South Carolina. Right, very good. And you, you uh, did not grow up Catholic, is that correct? No, I was, uh, I was uh, my culture and upbringing and denomination and my, uh, my initial foundation of faith were Southern Baptist. Well, that's not unusual, uh, particularly around here. Um, my mother uh, grew up Southern Baptist and mm. Her whole family uh, remained Southern Baptist after she uh, joined the church. But I, I grew up in that environment, too. And uh, I would go to Sunday school with my grandmother uh, on Sunday mornings. And then my parents would pick me up and we would go to uh, go to mass. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but they had a great deal. Uh, they would uh, drop me, my sister and I off with my grandparents on Saturday night. And they would be able to go out and go to a ball game or go to dinner or whatever, and then yeah. pick us up the next day 
Um, I enjoyed being with my grandparents, but I didn't realize what a great deal that was uh, until I yeah. looked back on it after I had my own kids. They, they didn't yeah. give me the same deal, by the way. <laughs> they're, they're avid watchers of this show. So I, I'll just say I, I, I didn't get that same deal, but they're great grandparents. They're great grandparents. Um, so, um, so tell us a little bit about how um, your formation, um, what led you to, uh, to, to being Catholic and, and also what led you to be a disciple of, of Jesus? Okay, that's it. So I, uh, as I said before the, uh, our show began, it's, it's a fairly long story, but it's a wonderful story. So uh, Alan cut me off if I'm going too long, okay? Absolutely. And, and it's kind of a two-parter. The first part is this. Um, uh, like uh, a lot of children uh, of, the, of the parents watching this, uh, if the parents are disciples of Jesus, intentional disciples, they bring their children into faith into the fellowship of faith to form them into the into the way of Jesus of Nazareth and my parents did at the time um, at the time they were married uh, my mother was Church of Christ my father was Baptist but we began we went as a family in the Baptist Church and and I was um, very de devout Baptist I would go to Sunday uh, church twice on Sunday uh, the regular service and the evening service I would go to Wednesday uh, Wednesday night fellowship I went to Baptist um, uh, summer camps. Uh, Rich Crest is a, a famous one in North Carolina I went to. So I was a, a, a devout uh, Baptist. I, I read the scriptures like Baptist boys do. I, I'm not talking about being a saint. I liked baseball and doing all the other things that kids do, but, uh, but I did believe in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, that changed um, about the time the civil rights movement began. Um, I'm, I'm seven years old now, and so I grew up uh, and was formed in the late 50s and, and throughout the 60s. And as all of, the, all of you will remember from your history, we were struggling as a country. Uh, we were struggling with the, the sin, the evil of racism. I grew up, Alan, seeing colored bathrooms and white bathrooms, seeing colored fountains of water uh, without cooling and cooled uh, water fountains for white folks. Uh, and I knew in my bones it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Um, my parents told me it was wrong. They didn't do much with it, but they told me it was wrong. But what happened was uh, I was forced uh, into making a decision. I had a Sunday school teacher in the eighth grade, around the eighth grade. And he tried to explain racism, that which he accepted as God's will, segregation rather as God's will by quoting Jesus about his parable about, you can't find good fruit from thorn bushes, uh, one of the parables of Jesus. And, and, I, and at that moment, I knew that he was not speaking the truth. At the same time, there was a man on television that I was watching every time I could. He was another Baptist, but he was not a Southern Baptist. He was a black Baptist, Dr. Martin Luther King. And he was a hero of mine. In fact, he was kind of, my spiritual mentor, um, because I watched him constantly, and I knew he spoke the truth. He talked like Jesus talked about love, about forgiveness, about uh, taking care of the poor. So um, I made a decision, and I, and I told my parents. I walked away from uh, Sunday school and church. They tried to make me go. I was uh, strong and independent, and they allowed me to follow my own will. So I left uh, the Baptist Church and organized Christianity, um, and didn't go back until college. At college, uh, I won't go into all of it, but at college, after a small stint in the army where I'd gotten hurt in basic, um, I, I came out and I changed my major. I had gone in as a pre-med student, supposedly to be like my dad, like lots of sons are supposed to be. Um, uh, but when I, I saw what I saw in the army, I was hearing what the country was going through, both in the racial strife uh, and at that time, the, the assassination of Dr. King, uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, the horror we saw in, in the riots and then the Vietnam War. All of those things combined to, uh, to weigh on my heart. So when I got out of the army, I started studying philosophy. And, uh, and, I, and I, I joined a small group of uh, nerdy people like me. One was a mathematician, one was a physicist, one was a psychologist. We were all eggheads uh, and I was the philosophy student. And we sat around a coffee shop and talked big ideas. 
these ideas. Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Is there purpose in life? Did Jesus of Nazareth speak to that purpose? After about six months of this, one of the fellows, he was a mathematician, um, he pulled me aside and said, David, I, I've heard your, your questioning and your voice in this book, and I want you to read it. And the book was uh, by Thomas Merton, uh, and it was his autobiography, The Seven Story Mountain. And it was about somebody just like me, uh, young and arrogant uh, and pretty bright and searching. So um, I read it and then read everything he wrote, or his bibliography. And then I, I read his, of the saints. And then I found a little Catholic church and became Catholic then. Let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, you raise uh, an issue that I think um, in our time, probably in every time it, it comes up, but particularly with respect to your experience with racism and religion, when you when you became dis, disenchanted, whatever word you want to use, did, right now a lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, terrible things have happened in churches, uh, you know, people may think that this doctrine or that doctrine doesn't reflect their values or whatnot, and so they want to reject Jesus because of what his earthly church is doing or what a particular minister is doing. Similar to the minister who, who told you the, the untruth about racism and, and Jesus. And it's a long question, I realize, but um, can you speak to that a little bit? Is, is you know, because I think a lot of people right now think, you know, I hear this a lot. I'm, uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, I, you know, I want to reject organized religion because I just want to go directly to God. Well, I can speak to that. Let me let yeah. me speak to that. I don't know about the first part of the question, but that part I can speak to. And, and I would ask everyone uh, to think simply about this. Uh, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then the extraordinary gospel of John, they speak about the person of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, uh, the son of Mary, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God. And they speak about his life on this earth. Uh, they speak about uh, the power of his teaching, his witness, uh, his love, his tenderness, uh, the power of uh, seemingly having the finger of God in exorcisms and the extraordinary miracles people saw in his presence. Um, so those four gospels speak about um, the one that lived over 2,000 years ago, just like us on this earth. This Jesus of Nazareth died. He died in an extraordinary way. He was he was tortured, and then he was executed by uh, the power, the power that be the state, Rome, uh, in an extraordinary, uh, terrible death. The, the, the reason we have faith is because two days later, after the sleep of death in Shabbat, on, Monday the, on Sunday, the first day of the week, they saw him alive again, glorified. Here's my point. Christianity is not simply remembering what Jesus did. Christianity is living the life of the anointed one. Uh, that's what Christ means, anointed. Christianity, what you and I are part of, is living the anointed life here and now. How do we do that? We do that by seeing what has been revealed in sacred scripture. After the resurrection, the risen Jesus said to his friends, his closest friends, his mother and his, his apostles, uh, the 11 at that time, Judas had betrayed him. Stay together. Fear nothing. It is good that I leave because I'm sending you my power, uh, my authority, my ministry, the advocate, the fire of God. They stayed together. And in Jerusalem, they experienced the power of Pentecost, where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, anointed anew. And here's the answer to your question. This is exactly, exactly the will of God. The birth of Jesus and in the incarnation was the will of the Father. His passion was the Father's mysterious will that Jesus said yes to. The resurrection was the gift of the Father. His ascension into heaven was part of the Father's plan, and the descent of the Holy Spirit was part of the plan of God. 
The church is not simply an association of people who think alike. The church is the absolute will of God. That's what the acts of the apostles are. There is no choice. If you follow Jesus, the only way we know him is through this instrument of revelation, which was coordinated by the bishops of the church after Pentecost. Right. And, and, and I, I agree with you. And I also, uh, I think part of that is, you know, Jesus many, many times talked about his church. And it was clear that he was saving us together. Uh, that not yes, not as an individual. He he comes he comes uh, to heal humanity. Uh, uh, he began with the people of Israel. He was called to feed the people of the covenant. But he came, John seventeen twenty one, that we may be one, all one, because the Father wants to redeem His creation, not through judgment, but through the loving mercy of Jesus. And that's the opportunity we have as the body of Christ. So. Um... So you're studying philosophy and, uh, and decide uh, that you're not going to become a medical doctor. Uh, what, what direction did you go? Uh, okay, thank you for getting me back there. Uh, it's a two-parter. Uh, I'll give you my part first. And I'll give you the Holy Spirit's part. Okay. Uh, almost immediately, um, my friends said they recognized it in me. I felt this extraordinary calling that I was meant to be a priest, that I was... What, what began with Merton and through Merton, the, the saints, reading the saints, uh, it was as if I had come alive and I had found my purpose. Uh, and so uh, for whatever reason, the Diocese of Savannah accepted me. I was not even a year Catholic. Um, um, it was not, not faulting them. Uh, I, I wanted this and they saw that in me and they, and they took that chance. Thank God for that. But I tried seminary. Um, and, and lasted three semesters. Intellectually, I was ready. Emotionally, spiritually, I was not. I really had not faced the issue of, of uh, chaste celibacy, about being giving my whole self to God. A couple of years after I left there, worked some, um, I entered the Society of Jesus as a novice, which was uh, one year was the best year of my life. I left in desolation and thought it was over. I found my work in Atlanta as a social worker. Uh, right after my father's death, I moved to Atlanta. I spent the next five, six years as a social worker. I thought this was my path in life. I began to try to date again. I was looking to buy a house. I went, I went to Georgia at night school and got a master's degree in social work to, to further my career as a professional uh, therapist and worker. It was during this time while I was still working in Atlanta and then commuting to Athens in the evening to finish classwork, uh, my last task was a little uh, like a, a semester paper on suffering. And it was uh, comparing and contrasting two ways to deal with suffering. Uh, the pastoral way, which is what priests and, and rabbis and, and um, ministers do, and the therapeutic way, which is what I was studying to do as a therapist. So I was looking at these two in a, in a paper I was doing, and I, as part of my paper, I interviewed all the uh, pastors in Athens, Georgia. Uh, the last one I was to interview, not all, but many of the pastors in, in Athens, Georgia. The last one was the one Catholic priest. There was just one there, and he was hard to get to. His, his calendar was terrible. I finally got to him, and, uh, and I waited out in his little lobby for a chance. He brought me in. And he had a gigantic uh, bookshelf behind him, like I do here, that you, that you people see. And I looked at the books, and, and I was shaking my head. And he said, what? And I said, I, I know some of these. I've read these. And, he, and we talked about some of them. And within about five minutes, Alan, this priest, his name is uh, Monsignor Richard Kierens. He's, he's gone now. He, he, about five minutes, he said, he said, you're the kind of man that God calls to be a priest. Are you Catholic? And I said, yes, I am. He said, have you thought about this before? And I said, yes, I have. And so he picked up the phone during my interview and he called the Archbishop of Atlanta, Thomas Janellen, and said, I have found a seminarian for us. And at that moment, it was, this is what some people talk about. Uh, it was kind of one of those lightning bolt moments that um, I never looked back. I never, I never doubted 
that this is what I was supposed to be from the, the, the first moment of my life. And finally, I had come to it and said yes to it. So I gave my full yes to God. I've struggled a bit like everyone does in discipleship uh, and in ministry. But, uh, but today, I say yes to the gift of God and to what God has called me to do for the people of Memphis. That's the first part. The powerful oh, part. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, it's quickly, but uh, your, 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 your viewers may want to hear this because it's a sure. wonderful story. No, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a true story. When my mama was 18 and my daddy was about 19 and they were dating, uh, my dad was, like I said, he was a carpenter. And uh, my mom was a nurse uh, in the hospital. And um, they both had been listening to Fulton Sheen on the radio. And both had been, had been drawn into him, especially my dad. And, and, and my, my mom listened to my dad, loved him desperately. So they both began to listen to Fulton Sheen and they drove across the river from Columbus, Georgia to Phoenix City, Alabama to begin to take inquiry lessons from a priest. They had to hide it because their people would have disowned them, my mom's people, God bless them. Um, and so they, they went through these instructions. That was the, what the, before RCIA, this was the way people became Catholic, talking to a priest. And so they were doing that. Uh, but just before they were ready to come into the church, my mom broke down. Uh, the, the way she told me about it, uh, she knew that if she became Catholic, a portion of her family, not all, but a portion would disown her, disown her. And that she knew that she was, she loved my daddy, she wanted to marry him, but she knew that she needed her mom and dad, her family. So she talked to my dad, uh, her, her fiance, and, they, and he said, do what you have to do. She drove across the river to Phoenix City, and she talked to this priest uh, at a church at St. Patrick's, and, uh, and she told him the situation. And, and, he, and thank God he was a, a loving pastoral man, not judgmental, uh, but loving and pastoral and kind. And he said, I understand, I understand. And, and she said, but my mom, she said, but I know this was of God and I, and I want to, to say thank you, even though I can't follow through and I don't understand why I, I wanna give thanks to God, what can I do? And the priest thought a minute and he said, uh, well, uh, Miss Barton, uh, my mom's maiden name, uh, Miss Barton, if, if, if it's in your heart and if you want to do this, the thing you might consider doing is this, go inside the church in front of where we keep the Eucharist, the tabernacle. And if it's in your heart, kneel before the tabernacle, before the Lord, his presence. And then promise your first son to God. So my mom went in before she was married and she knelt down and she prayed that her first child would be a, a boy and that that boy was given to God for service. And she told me this story about a week before I was ordained as a priest. That is a beautiful story. Yes, it is. That is a beautiful story. And it, uh, you know, your story, I think, also shows um, how God speaks to us through other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got to listen to other people because um, sometimes that's God speaking to us. And sometimes God is calling us. But we want to do it our way. You know, yes. we want to go to the Diocese of Savannah, you know. <laughs> and, but, you know, he's calling us to the Archdiocese of Atlanta. We just got to find that out. And, 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 here's, the, and here's the thing for the, for the viewers to, to, to remember, all of us to remember. I'm, I'm a learner, too. Um, although I, I, was, I was a pretty smart guy and I, and I thought I was pretty mature spiritually, I thought that. I was wrong about so many things in my life. Um, um, but I was winding around these things, Savannah, and then the Jesuits, and then social work, and then finally Atlanta and, and, and uh, seminary. My mom had this truth in her heart the whole time. She never told me anything. I don't know what she was thinking. You know, was she thinking um, maybe God did not want this gift? Maybe, maybe it's not for David. But she had the truth of her prayer in her heart the whole time. And so finally, when it came to fruition, that's when she told me the whole story. So that, that's something for moms and dads to think about too, that like you, Alan, uh, uh, you know, when you're a father, um, 
are a mom and you're given the gift of the holy gift of marriage and the fruit of marriage is children, um, you pray for them, lift them up and God will provide according to his plan and promise. But your job is to be faithful. Well, uh, what's particularly beautiful about that story is that she didn't put that pressure on you. She didn't fight. And, but to let you know about it, uh, I thought her, I think her timing there was excellent. Yeah. Um, because uh, you, you tell that story to someone in your position too early, and maybe you become, you do something for the wrong reason. So, yeah. um, and, and, we, and we've had, and as you know, I was a vocation director in Atlanta, then I worked for a, a person with personnel for Archbishop, now Cardinal Gregory, uh, and then as a bishop, both in Alexandria here in Memphis, you see occasionally a candidate that you, you, you wonder, is this person, is this person uh, modeling his mom's or his dad's vocation uh, because there's such a connection between the two and the connection between mom and dad is not bad at all but the young man when he's especially when they come to us young they have to uh, realize that there's a, a real calling in yourself to give yourself away not just what you were formed to do but what you your own heart longs to do and you know you can be called uh, to do a lot of things not just necessarily be a, a priest or a deacon or a bishop. Um, and I think, um, I, you know, I tell my kids all the time, you need to pray about these major decisions that you make uh, because God is calling you to do something. He's given you some talents. He's given you some interests that's, and a that's background. Exa that's He's exactly it. Uh, Alan, you, the, the, and our people, many of our people know, but the word that we, we hear oftentimes, vocation, it's vocatio. It means to be called, and you're exactly right, Alan. God calls every human being. God knows us before we were conceived in the womb. God knows. God is the knowledge that we long for, um, and God is calling each of us. For most of the of the viewers, uh, and I want to emphasize this: God has called you to what is what is most natural and best for humanity. Male and female come together. This is, the, this is the creative power of God, the complementary gift of male and female. They come together, and the gift of that marriage is a fullness in themselves. And, and oftentimes, the fruit of that fullness of, uh, and intimacy is the gift of children. They're called by that. So, so much of our culture now doesn't, doesn't really get that. Uh, marriage for so many is just a moving from, uh, from already a very, very early intimacy, a physical sexual intimacy, before they even know each other. And then they find each other uh, slowly and they marry for the wrong reasons. Uh, a Christian marriage is someone who longs for all of those things, but hears the desire in their hearts, his heart, her heart, do what God wants. And you ask the question, Lord, is this, is this girl right for me? Lord, is this guy, I, I love him so much, but is this guy right for me? And to ask those questions in prayer and thought uh, as young men and young women are, are preparing to work in the world and looking for a, a life's partner. Yeah, I think um, so often we talk about what I want to do when I grow up or what I, you know, what I, whether I want to take this job or as you say, whether I want to marry this person. And um, every time in my life, when I have tried to discern what God wants me to do, when I then go do that thing, <laughs> it's, it's much more uh it's it's much more of a rich experience and it fits and it works and when i do something that i want to do and i don't bother to consult uh the lord about it uh that's when it doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't always not work out but it's usually not as good as those times when i've i've kept my eye on on the prize and yeah. um so that's good advice for everyone um well okay let's um uh, one thing that uh, is interesting about you is you were you were called to the priesthood, um, but you didn't know at that point that you were also called uh, to the episcop uh, the episcopacy to be a bishop. Uh, how did that How did that work? Um, yeah, I have a couple of, a couple of stories that maybe your listeners, your hearers, and your viewers would like this. Um, what a lot of people don't know is, um, I, I do this now, every uh, diocesan bishop, um, every three years, is asked by the Holy Father through the papal nuncio uh, to, to offer 
potential names of men priests that may be called to the episcopacy. Um, uh, that, I do, I'm doing that, I will do that uh, in Memphis. I did that in Alexandria. Uh, I was part of that in Atlanta. Um, the way that Ar then Archbishop Gregory did it, he wrote every three years, and I will do the same. I, I've done this once already. I'll do, I'll do it again in two more years. Archbishop Gregory wrote every three years to his priests, and it was a very solemn letter in, in the name of God. And he said that in the name of God, uh, uh, looking into your heart and only for the good of the church, I ask you um, to share with me if there are one or more of our brother priests and our presbyterate that God may uh, have touched to be a bishop, to, to live the Episcopal life. Those That Turnus then is sent uh, to the nuncio and they send it to Rome. And, 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 then, and then after that, well, I'll back up. Uh, in Atlanta, myself, uh, I know this after the fact, my name was uh, put on several uh, turnuses, several. Uh, the, the one that, that was uh, made me a bishop, uh, I was the, the top uh, person of, of the three persons. Um, it goes by number of votes that you receive for a number of letters from priests. And so uh, those three names are sent to Rome. Questionnaires come back. This is important for people to hear. A 10 page questionnaires asking every facet of your life. Folks think that, that, that there haven't been any kind of um, discernment about uh, uh, the character of a man. These 10 page, because um, I fill one out for other people, they're extraordinary in the depth they're asking about a candidate. And so those things happen, they're sent back to Rome. And then that's when I was called. When I was called, is an interesting little story. I think I've told you, Element. Let me tell, tell it quickly um, to those who are viewing. I was a pastor of a gigantic parish in Atlanta, St. Bridget, uh, enormous. I don't know how many pre, uh, families, over 3,000, I think. It was uh, one of the most, probably second most affluent parish in Atlanta. We had a school, a Holy Redeemer. Uh, I was there in my, I think my third year. I was happy uh, and by God's grace, the staff and I were, were working well together. It was the 17th of December. Now think about that. Uh, that's just a few days before the celebration of Christmas. A pastor is engaged with tons of stuff. You know, we're having six masses, the gym and the school and upstairs and downstairs and getting all that ready with all of my staff. So that's the chaos I was in. And I'm sitting at my desk at 9.15, uh, multitasking, uh, looking at something and, and typing away too when the phone rings. I hit the, I hit the uh, thing and I, I, keep, I keep typing and I hear a voice, kind of mumble voice. And I, and I kept on typing and I said, hello again. And then uh, I heard uh, this is so-and-so, Carlo Maria Vigano of the Apostolic Nunciature. Is this Monsignor David Talley? I stopped typing. <laughs> and he, he then told me that the Holy Father, that was at that time Benedict, the Holy Father um, had appointed me to be Auxiliary Bishop of Atlanta. Would I accept the appointment? That's how it happens. What goes through, what goes, what went through your mind at that, at that moment? You got the, the papal nuncio on the phone. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know, I mean, it's not, this isn't an honorary thing, you know, it's no. not another title or, or something. This is going to change your life. No, no, yes. And, and uh, for, 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 for some men, I've, I've, they, they've told me they had absolutely no clue. Um, I, I knew because some guys told me. You know, I was part of the presbyterate. I wrote letters to, to Archbishop Gregory and several of my friends uh, said to me, David, I, I believe you're meant to be a bishop. I put your name in. And so I knew that letters had gone out. So getting the call was not absolutely a surprise. But then again, it was a surprise because I didn't think it was going to happen. I was, I was at that time, I think 61 or 62. I was already at an age where that, that, that part is probably over decided. Remember, I told you I'd been on several of these turnuses. When I was younger, it may have been different, but I thought it was, I was already kind of aged out. And so I said, that's fine. But then when, when, the, when the nuncio called, um, he said Benedict. And I was one of the last appointments of uh, Pope Benedict. Uh, the, the next month or two months later, he resigned. Uh, he said, so my work is done. <laughs> No, that's I got tally. I got tally in. I'm. 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 
I'm, I'm uh, headed to the back four. But, I, but I, one of my little, little things, I do have that little Benedict thing on one and then the Francis thing on two others. Yep, yep. Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a, a fanboy kind of question here. I had dinner last night with uh, Bishop Robert uh, Marshall, uh, our, my former pastor and now the Bishop of Alexandria, Louisiana, which is where you came from. And I, I, I said, I just got to ask you a, a question. What's the, what's the most unexpected thing about being bishop that you've enjoyed, but that you really didn't know was going to come along with the responsibilities? An unexpected joy? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we can talk about the, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of obligation, but um, where do you find joy? Maybe that's a better way to ask. Where do you find joy in your role as bishop of Memphis or Alexandria or even auxiliary in Atlanta? Well, uh, the first place is at uh, Mass, Holy Mass, um, especially with children uh, uh, and young teens. Uh, Holy Mass is the first place. The second place is with uh, my brother, uh, priests and deacons. Um, what I hope to be, uh, I, I, I'm sometimes, it seems sometimes I'm successful, sometimes not. Um, but what I long to do is lift up the diaconate and the presbyterate uh, and, and build leadership through a, a collaboration with them, through sharing my ministry with them. I believe that's what a bishop is meant to do. Uh, what, what is a bishop? A bishop is a trusted priest that carries the full, the full weight of the tradition in his heart and guards it and gives it away. And so that, that's, that's a joy. Uh, um, I can, uh, the, the lament is, you didn't ask that, but I'll tell you, the lament is, um, and Father Marshall, Bishop, now Bishop Marshall, would, would have the same experience, especially his first year was COVID, which, which is, I can't understand, I can't, I can't believe that. But, but one of the lament that I hear lots of my brother bishops talk about is, when we were pastors, we had a real relationship with lots of families. We, we saw the children grow up. Uh, we, we, did, we did a lot of those things, witnessing how families grow in Jesus Christ. As a bishop, you don't have that. Uh, I love to see our people. I, I, I will go to 47 communities uh, every year, uh, as long as my health is there. I will do that. I did it my first year. I'm going to do it this year. Um, and so I see people, but I don't have a connection with them. I'm beginning to have a small connection on social media with a few, but that's not my one lament. So that the gift is uh, to be at Mass. Uh, that is the sacrament. That and, and confirmation within Mass, the sacrament of the bishop, uh, and then my collaboration with my brother deacons and priests and sisters and, and brothers in religion. Do you, um, do you think there's an appropriate balance between um, the administrative side and the juridical side of being a bishop and the pastoral side, or has it is it too weighted on the the authority? Um, or do you think it's a good, it's a good balance? I hear it and I pondered that. Um, I'm going to sound like I'm skirting the question, but it's really not. It's really an answer. Um, the way we see things, especially today, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a digital mindset, a yes, no mindset is to compartmentalize different aspects of a unified life. What is a bishop? A bishop is a, um, a cleric, a priest that carries the tradition in his heart. What is he called to do as bishop? He is called to preach, sanctify, and govern. All three inside himself for the, for the love of God and the love of his people. So what I don't want to do, and it's easy to do this, and I have done this in the past, and I have to watch out each day, is compartmentalize those things uh, in, in a in a real way so that I do a piece over here, then I do a real piece here, a real piece here. My, my, my Christ life, my anointed life is administration. My anointed life is uh, a sacramental worship with my people. My anointed life is uh, when I talk to uh, priests that are in trouble or priests that are uh, asking questions, priests that are happy. 
uh, or deacons that are, are looking for a different way of life. Those, all of those things are part of my anointed life as an anointed disciple of Jesus and uh, ordained for the service of the church. So I, I, it's not skirting them. I, I believe it's a unified thing, and that's what the vocation is. I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. Uh, there's a, a Byzantine right uh, Catholic uh, priest uh, who uh, was a deacon in that right for a long time. And he says that we don't have a priest shortage nearly as much as we have a bishop shortage, that uh, the bishops have become, um, you know, too much on that side. I, you know, I think it, I think it's a big difference between being the bishop of Memphis and being the bishop of Dallas, oh, you sure. know, uh, but it, but it's an interesting concept because, um, you know, you carry a crozier to show that you're the shepherd and, um, you know, you got a big flock and it, it is hard to, to, to be close to the people sometimes, but, uh, uh we also me, need the administrative side as well. So let, I don't think it's the right answer. It's just an interesting question to think about. Let me say this about uh, you, you, you compared Memphis to Dallas, and, and, and I'm, I'm, this may not be right. I will tell your viewers my sense of it. Uh, uh, this is personal experience. Um, at, uh, in Atlanta, for whatever reason, uh, I had three pastorates, and they are all very, very large churches. Uh, two were affluent, and one was lower middle class, but they were all large churches, two of them with schools and with large staffs. But I watched the lives of the guys out in the country who had one, one half of one person as the staff, and they had to do everything themselves. So um, the, the difficulty of the work uh, uh, and, and how it affects uh, the person, the bishop, the man, it's all about how he functions. Uh, sometimes in, in our uh, diocese of Memphis, uh, the guys who are living or working two small parishes in the country are putting a lot more hours in than a man that may be here in the city, but may have 15 people on staff. I'm not saying that the, the guys in the metro area work less. I'm saying that uh, they have more time to do the things that priests want to do, uh, uh, reading and being with people in prayer groups. And so, and so that part and parcel uh, of your last comment is the, the, the short, kind of the shortage and the fact that we need, here's the key, we need lots more committed laymen and laywomen to step up. Uh, and we need lots more bishops and priests and deacons to invite them to come up, to be part of leadership, so that it all doesn't revolve around one person. That's not the church. Yeah, you're, uh, you mentioned uh, Archbishop uh, Sheen um, before, and he famously said, uh, don't look for the bishops, priests, and I'll insert deacons to save the church, it's up to the lady to save the church, yes. if the church needs saving. But, yes. um, it, you know, it's time to get off the bench and, and get in the game if you haven't been involved in your church, whatever church that is, whether Correct. it's a Catholic church or uh, what, whatever, um, get involved, be, be an active it's member. One, it's one of my, uh, it's one of my, I've done, I've said this probably a hundred times, I'll say it again, that uh, the 99, especially in the Catholic context, the 99.9% .9 of the church living on the other side of the altar versus the one-tenth of 1% 1 living on, on the presider side of the altar. Both have functions. I'm called to lead the people of God in worship, but the 99 plus percent of the people that are worshiping with me at the altar of Christ, what are they called to do? Transform the earth by being anointed themselves. It doesn't come from me, it comes from God. And the call of God to transform the earth through their baptismal vocation. That's right. Well, we're we're um, we're, we're coming to the end of this, but I wanted to make sure I give plenty of time to to talk about um, kind of where the diocese of Memphis is and where I know you uh, met recently with all of the priests. Uh, we call that the presbyterate, uh, and y'all did some planning and over, over the next five or six years. What, uh, what's, what's your vision for how we're going to follow Jesus together as a diocese? Um, the, um, the convocation was in November of 2020. It was uh, um, almost, a, a, almost a year after I came. So my first 
my first eight or 10 months was going to the parishes and listening to lots of people. Um, uh, and so I, I, even though we were in the middle of COVID, I, I called all the priests together. I heard it was not, it was not a normal thing for all the priests to come. Every, almost every priest came. I was so happy and thankful for that. And um, uh, in the midst of COVID, we were careful, but, but, but they all came. And, uh, and, I, and I brought in uh, my pastoral staff, my CFO to, to give pieces about, because I believe in transparency about how the chancery works. But for my part, these are the couple of things that I said, uh, and I've been saying it. Um, um, the kerygma, the kerygma is the essential message of, of, the, of the incarnation, the passion, the, uh, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth and the pouring of the spirit. The kerygma, that Jesus is the Lord, then and now, uh, we've lost that charisma. Not all of us, you and I are faithful. Uh, I'm hoping that all of our viewers are that way. But our country, our culture that was at one time anointed uh, is no longer that. Meaning uh, the people are not accepting an anointing, accepting the fact that there is a God, that God lives, that God is calling them personally, intimately. Um, and because we have lost that sense of charisma, and I didn't invent this, the last three bishops of Rome, St. John Paul the Great, Benedict the 16th, and Francis have all called us to a new evangelization. So on the 20th, uh, around the, in November 2020, I called us, um, and everybody knows, we went, we'd gone through a couple of years of difficulty with uh, some confusion in the chancery and leadership, and, and there was lots of suffering, and I don't downplay that. But I told the brothers, uh, we've had two years to deal with this suffering and about six or seven months with Archbishop Kurtz, and then about 10 months with me. It's time to go forward and not continue to look backwards. And so that, that was my little theme song. My little theme message was adelante. It's a Spanish word that means uh, now, go now. And the next piece of it was moving forward together, not one, not two, together. Uh, on mission, that all may be one, on mission. Jesus of Nazareth is not a status quo man. It's all about transforming the earth according to the Father's will, transforming human hearts, human families, human institutions, the fabric of humanity through an anointing of the Holy Spirit and an obedience to the word of God. Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few years. I, I... I truly believe that great things are, are on the horizon. And I'm, I'm just, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to say to folks that are listening, if, um, if you're looking for something, if you feel like you get up in the morning and things just aren't right, you don't feel like you're, you're fitting into what you should be doing, uh, you think, is this all there is? And you don't know Jesus, um, stop, take five minutes. Just sit and listen and see if Jesus is talking to you. Um, you know, get up on Sunday and go to a church. Go to a Catholic church. Go to a Baptist church. doesn't really matter. Go where you think Jesus is and listen to what Jesus is saying to you. Because Jesus isn't calling you just to be a nice person. Uh, you can be a nice person and not know Jesus at all. What he's calling you to do is to... Uh, Become his disciple to know him personally and let him love you. And that's what Bishop David uh, preaches uh, very eloquently, what a lot of folks in our church preach and a lot of other churches. Um, but don't let anybody tell you that, um, that it's all mythology. Jesus Christ is a real human being. He lives outside of time now, but he lives and he wants to have a relationship with you. And... Um, you know how to reach me, uh, give me a call if you'd like to talk about it. More than happy to, 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 to listen more than talk, uh, I, because I think the more we talk about our search for the truth, um, if you're searching for the truth, there's, there's nothing that can take the, the place of that. And once yeah. you find it, you, you're going you're gonna to uh, live a much more fulfilled life than, than, than not. So that's my... my that's my commercial, my, my little bit of evangelization for everybody today. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Go, 
go find it, go find a church and uh, you don't have to draw a lot of attention to yourself, but just let, let the Holy Spirit, let Jesus talk to you. Be surprised at, um, be surprised where that'll lead you. Well, uh, Bishop, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I suspect a lot of people have gotten a lot of, out of this. Um, listening to your story, it uh, uh, hopefully people see themselves in that story. I hope so too. And 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 what I when I've told told this before to to prayer groups and things like that, the thing that I end up saying is this: is that uh, we, we each uh, have a calling, a vocatio, uh, and, and some with some are with lightning bolts, and some are uh, the cent the the. The simple rhythm of life. One of my best friends, who is a bishop now, uh, knew from the time he was about seven years old that he was going to be a priest. Uh, he, he went to college and he, and he dated and all the other things, but he knew uh, down deep uh, that this was, he had, had a gentle sense of God's presence the whole of his life. Mine was a bit chaotic, uh, his was gentle and ongoing. That's because we're two different individuals. God calls each of us according to God's plan for us and because of our, with our own personality. So everyone has, has the capacity to hear that word of God and bring them alive again. Amen. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, again, I want to thank Bishop David Talley for uh, uh, joining with us and sharing uh, his, uh, his experiences. And uh, if you've enjoyed this, and, and my goodness, of course you enjoyed it. It was a great show. Please uh, share this or forward it if you've got it by email to someone who you think might benefit from it. And um, uh, Bishop Talley is going to go uh, uh, follow Jesus and lead the Diocese of Memphis, and I'm going to go get some justice. So uh, thank you all very much, and I'll uh, look forward to seeing you next time on Ask Allen. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. <laughs>